Welcome to the latest episode of the Informing Choices Minipod. My guest today is David Smith, Chief Executive and a futurist at London-based Global Futures and Foresight. In the book, Aftershocks and Opportunities 2, Navigating the Next Horizon, David ex has explored the implications for the insurance sector as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, in addition to the trends that were already visible. So digitization, changing business models and attitudes to risk are all key factors. But central to the emerging changes across the sector is the idea of the industry changing from compensator to preventer of loss. David, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your work, if you would. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be here and glad to talk to you. Um, as um, a futurist, I suppose I spend most of my time either speaking about what the future might hold for us or thinking more specifically for individual clients, what the trends and the drivers, will, how they will impact them, and then give them some food for thought to put into their strategic thinking. So that's broadly what we do. As you well know, we're historians of the future, so use yes. form views of what it might look like. So that's what I've been doing for a long time now and coming out of you know, the big corporate world, my in IT, IT services firms, that is my, my first go-to place, thinking about how technology is changing things. Fascinating. Well, I'm sure we can have a, um, a long conversation uh, about that, but let's focus on uh, the topic that you, you brought up in the, in the book. And, let, and let's start with, with this. How do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has already disrupted the insurance sector? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's accelerated and disrupted so many areas of, of our activity, including business and very much insurance. I mean, the number one row, if you like, uh, early, mid pandemic, if you like, was business continuity. Was this an act of God or was this something, something priced in and for, foreseeable? And I think ultimately it's coming down to it's sort of foreseeable because people did. I mean, I remember many people have said there is a pandemic coming. But as to when and with what degree of, uh, of impact, it was hard to tell, but it wasn't like it was never going to happen. So it was a foreseeable act. Anyway, the continuity insurance paid out. So that's hit, hit number one, if you like. That's pretty considerable. But also it's the process. You know, insurance uh, companies are companies. So distributed staff, distributed technology, having things in place to be able to do that. I and mean, in fact, in, in the March of 2020, when we had the first lockdown, I was finishing off a study looking at the top insurance companies in Britain and speaking to their CIOs. And there were those that were gloating, quite rightly, that they had all of the right suppliers, networks, processes, security, uh, HR functions in place for literally people to work from home with no impact whatsoever on the firm to others who were in a state of sheer panic <laughs> because they hadn't got round to thinking about distrib distribution or uh, desk spaces or insurance at home for workers or for uh, any any other technology issues so it's had a huge impact but I think what it has done and I'm, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful it's opened up a willingness or a, a belief in insurance companies that business isn't always going to be as usual as normal yeah. and therefore we've got to think about what else could happen that might mean significant change for our, for our world. Do you think it changes the view that insurance companies might take on how they regard the future as well? well I think it does. And I think many, you know, many insurance companies have been around a very long time. They've been some of the first users of technology. 
of various forms. They get a bad name, but they, you know, and they're not very good at recruiting the smartest people in tech in the tech world because there's other places they can go. But they've been a great user of those sort of things. But I think it has loosened the reins at the top level for thinking about processes, structures, service provision, offers, and, and its purpose. I think I once said, uh, I've even put it in the article, I think in here, it's all about purpose, uh, processes, and people. Mm. You know, do, we, do we need to change or think fundamentally about each of those three areas of what we do? I think there's, there's more of that, I would suspect. And, and, and I think that takes us quite neatly into, into the second question I've got for you, for you, which is about, you know, how might the commercial and, and personal insurance sectors evolve in the coming years? Well, my own personal view is massively, I think, probably personal to start with uh, and then commercial, but commercial and personal for different reasons. I think there's different drivers working in both those worlds. I mean, if I think of personal... You know, it's everything from health to property and home, you know, property casualty, as it's often referred to. I think those areas, we'll see that phrase I coined a few years ago, that we're going from a world of compensation to prevention. And, you know, do I want the same pound, if you'd like, to go in two directions? Well, no, if I'm spending it on prevention, why am I spending it on covering a risk? So my residual risk still exists because things happen. That's the whole point of insurance. But actually probably predictable risks fire we've got you know all sorts of safeguards you can put in the house you've got water loss now which is the biggest loss for personal lines for homes is is preventable by technology now detecting water water loss and shutting off valves so we'll see a lot of technology displacing premium in the uh, in the personal world health more and more because i can go on risk within seconds and i don't need you know, bodily fluids to be exchanged by a physician to know how well I am. There's so many other very, very good predictors uh, yeah. that are, are not directly linked to the issues that tell tell somebody how to insure me from a health perspective. And again, prevention is better than cure, if you like. And the, the, the health industry should be moving, certainly in the private world and insurance based, which is an anathema that you ever talk to each other. But, you know, health, health insurance and private insurance ought to be bedfellows, uh, if you yeah. like. And the life industry, which is really ought, which is the death industry, is not, it yes. sounds nice to be a life industry, but it's actually all about death. And they've got the stats, they've got the methods, you know, and they've got the means to help people live more successful lives. So massive change on that side. But on the commercial side, I just think, you know, the data, information, data management, you know, if I'm going to insure a power station for, for a nation, what, what's my risk? Well, it can take three or four years, or it used to take three or four years. I've no idea what it does now to, to, to effectively know the, the degree of risk. I mean, with Lloyds of London, you were on risk from the day the contract was signed. So that's what makes it a very special market. So there was, there was a, if you like, forgive this expression, but a gentleman's agreement is the old fashioned term that you're on risk, even though we don't know what the risk is. But with data now and design and drawings and smart systems, we're able to interpolate and interpret what the risk is in a, in a structure or, or a mechanical process or electronic process that can get on risk reality really well worked out massively quickly plus it can be varied not on a, an annual contract it can be varied on, a, on an hourly if you like or daily or monthly or weekly usage uh, and so the risk can increase and decrease in commercial and in private on a dynamic way which is again is completely changing the model so my suggestion is that we should, even though I have to say insurance moves at an interesting speed, 
um, we, we should see massive change. Uh, I think you know, Instech, if I just throw that into the mix, yeah, will increasingly provide the means either for organisations to consider different ways of doing things, or it will uh, eat the lunch of uh, of insurance companies by competing. And I think they're both. I don't think Instech is is innocent. It's, if it gets properly funded, it'll, it'll cherry pick some of the areas of insurance companies and probably the more profitable bits in, in a smarter, cleverer way. Um, and otherwise, it'll be bought up cheaply because the pandemic's hurt those guys to some degree um, as ideas and, and innovations for them. Is, is a lot of that change kind of underpinned by um, uh, the use of artificial intelligence, big data to really improve the predictability of risk as well? Massive. I mean, IoT, which is a starting point about, if you like, machine-generated data attached to us and in us and around us and on us, will tell you what every machine, every building, every structure. I mean, in the future, we'll see substrate of buildings having sensors in the in the foundations. I mean, ninety-five percent of sensors will be destroyed in the building process, but the five remain. They'll do the job. Yeah. And that's the point. We can tell if the structure is moving. We we can have, uh, believe it or not, IoT minute sensors. When the internet of nano kicks in fully on glass for transparency, we'll know the condition of glass, we'll know the condition of wings of aircraft. I mean, we lost an aircraft, a Malaysian aircraft, completely a few years ago. And now we're talking about five centimeter squares, knowing the condition and stress on the loading of wings of aircraft. So the IoT will pump out vast amounts of data that will allow us to manage the risk, um, again, dynamically, of everything around us. And that, of course, means that, OK, it took us, what, 20, 30, 40 years to get to one zettabyte of data. It's somewhere in that region, 2015. We're now talking about 175 zettabytes in another I don't know, three years or thereabouts. And I believe we'll be up around about yottabytes by the end of this decade. Wow. So we're talking about thousands of zettabytes of data, non-conformant, non-standard, non-secure, you know, the, we're going, in the insurance world, they spent a fortune standardising the throughput of data between the various parties, from brokers to underwriters. And it's very static, human-generated data. Yeah. And then we're going back to not square one, we're going back to minus square ten of, of this massive data needing to be thought through. How do you, who gets it, who, 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 who manages it, who normalises it, who interacts with it, who deals with it at the edge? Is that the broker? Who deals with it at the underwriter? Is that sent through to them to analyze and, and price risk on an hourly basis? So the whole processes in the market are going to be under, not undermined, but you know, it needs some smart thinking about what, what is the process? Who owns the data? Who owns the, the cleanliness of it? Who passes it on with any degree of, 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 of surety? I mean, who's liable for it? And, and how do we pay for it in the first place if people generate it and give it to us? So there's a lot of issues around. And you're right. Big data is I mean, big data today is nothing. Mm. You know, we, we don't even imagine what data is going to be like. It's going to be huge. I mean, you think about it. You could, uh, there's already um, trials of, of nano devices that can be injected into your bloodstream that move 55 yards a, w um, a week, I think it is using the blood sugar content in your body to move around detecting condition. So there's a massive change coming with IoT. But of course, AI allows us to make sense of it and to normalize it, which is good news. And of course, the, the, the current bit of AI is boring. It's software process robotics and all that sort of stuff. And oh, yeah. big deal. It's broadly making what we already do a bit faster and quicker and cheaper and reliable. And it's boring. But the next bit is about the cognitive and, and human-like and 
and human beings-like systems that will be put in place. And that really gets very, very interesting how we collaborate with them. I mean, I just want to go back to, to, to one thing we, we spoke about just now on uh, in terms of uh, personal insurance particularly, but I suppose there's an there's a, um, application here on the commercial side as well. But personalization is obviously a trend that we've seen growing across a number of sectors for quite some time. How might that manifest itself in insurance? And I guess to some extent, you've started to touch on that in the way that we might use the data, haven't you? Yeah, I think we've, we've, we've traditionally done annual contracts for classes of conditions. So you, you, you pool the risk with other people, it, it, depending on where you fit in. Hmm. Uh, and that's what insurance companies do. They pool risk of people. But actually, we're moving more towards priced risk. That's a very, very different scenario, very different business model. And it's very much individual about someone's propensity to risk. I mean, you think about it. If the price of energy goes up, you can turn the heater down. If the price of insurance goes up, you can put, expose yourself to less risk. You know, in the future, our, our attitude to insurance, I mean, again, why would I pay the same amount just because they have to on an annual? Why annual? I mean, not writing it with a feather pen, are we? The, the qualification period for going on risk is adhered to, I should be allowed to change my insurance any way I like and, and move it around. If I'm worried about being redundant, I might move some risk away from my property insurance and move it to my uh, you know, redundancy insurance. So, and that's fair enough, as long as I adhere to the qualification period, my house is at more risk, but my job is better covered if I lose it. So our attitude, our scaling, our flexibility of thinking about how I cover the risk in my life because insurance companies are only one aspect of risk management. Mm. That's the whole point. There'll be increasingly numbers of entities, utilities, things that don't even exist yet, actually, um, that, that will help to make the price of my risk very personal indeed and, and adaptable by my circumstances. I mean, it, it seems to me that um, uh, one of the things or a couple of things that you were talking about there were around attitudes and behavior, maybe. So, you know, finally, you know, the last question I've got was really about technology. So what's, what does this look like when we merge some of those attitudes and behavioral changes with the new and emerging technologies coming along? How radical is that going to shift the sector, do you think? Well, ultimately, it can shift the sector dramatically. New entrants can come in offering an awful lot of capability and, and products, but just blow the old world apart. I mean, that's happened in other sectors, even in finance. You know, the mortgage, the swept mortgage from credit cards, loans, and, and uh, the mortgage, that was an Australian standard that hit the UK market. Now, every mortgage company now has to offer that equivalent. So the same thing can happen in insurance. You know, we will, new models will emerge that are based or not based, but fundamentally rely on these new technologies for performance, productivity, or even the very fact you can offer it is because you've got the technology in place to be dynamic. And that will then force others to, if you like, take notice. And some will be winners and some will be losers. As got, but tech is really, I mean, everything from AI making sense of data, data going through the roof, machine generated data, and the IoT and the internet of nano following that, which is just smaller bits of sensors, you know, massive amounts of data being managed in brand new ways uh, and even paying people for the use of their data. So the whole new models need to emerge. Uh, and ultimately, you know, things even like 3D fabrication, you know, everything from a house to a heart. And that, I think it was a study I saw last year that I think 58% of parents 
No, it's more than that in the UK. About 78% of parents in the UK said they would be happy to have a 3D printed heart put in their child. Now, when you, you start getting that incredibly emotive level of questioning and people are prepared if, if it's viable. So every part of us can be replaced. So what's health insurance? What's the price of that apart from our brains? So you, you, you think about 3D fabrication can replace everything, can fix things better, quicker, faster. Honestly, and, the, and a final note on that, not just the tech all changing, which is quite exciting, it's um, the next major driver, of course, is, is environmental issues. And the circular economy means we own less. Why do I need to own a car when it's smart, automatic? I'll just whistle one up like an Uber and it'll, it'll take me wherever I need to go. So car insurance, no, it's fleet insurance, that's your lot. You know, and if, you, if you're in fleet insurance, great. If you're not, you haven't got a customer. Now that's a long-term view. This isn't gonna happen overnight, but you can see those things happening. So technology in the car, which is the ultimate mobile device, I suppose, and technology all around us is gonna change degrees of risk and very much the degree we want to have personalized, personalized nature of risk in the future, not, not just blanket risk and probably pooled risk. David, our time is up, but um, you know, on the face of it, insurance is probably one of those things that people go, no, no, I don't want to know about it. Um, uh, but um, I think what you've done there is really generate a sense of excitement about how the sector might change and actually how much more very specific to our own needs insurance could be in the future. That's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, David. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed talking to you, Steve. And thank you everyone for listening. Do let your friends and colleagues know about the Informing Choices mini pod and there'll be another episode along very soon.